1: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
2: Welcome back to the Cover Three Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton
0: Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from national signing day to the national championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover Three Podcast.
1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. It's a Wednesday, so we're diving into that big old bag of mail. Uh, We, if you have not gotten a chance to listen, we were with you last night for the instant reaction to the college football playoff rankings, the Scott Satterfield drama. We touched on Monday, get those wherever you get your podcasts, watch those multi-platform excellence, youtube.com slash cover three, subscribe there as well. Or you can get full episodes through the OTT device through the CBS sports app. That'll be an opportunity here. And we of course, will have our locks recording tomorrow. Are y'all ready to dive into the big old bag of mail?
0: Yeah, I actually have the first mailbag question for the three of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does OTT stand for? Over the top.
2: Okay. It's the new world, brother. Cord cutting. So what, what is Over the top. What is it over
0: the top of?
2: It's like over the
1: top of your uh, old, like it's it's on top of whatever your old setup was. We're over the top. This is extra. This is, this is our, our other offering that we've got for you. You can get us- so, through all the old methods, you can pull up your old computer browser and go to cbssports.com, or you can get us through the OTT device.
0: So it's not like the old Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: turn it, turn uh, your hat on backwards and, uh, and, and be ready to roll. Yeah. All right. This first question comes from Dijon87. This is a fantastic college football podcast. The addition of Danny is welcoming mostly because he was my guy at ESPN and trolls, the sec cult following mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've never understood why Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina et cetera fans thump their chest with sec chants, but the programs are absolute trash as a Buckeye fan. I don't give a rip about how good Wisconsin or Michigan state is. Anyway, I love lock picks, how quick they are with emergency pods and their overall knowledge and love of the game. If y'all see this, I would love to have this mailbag question answered on the show. Are you guys as sick as me with the lack of leadership in college football? The playoff is a joke. The conferences do their own things, resulting in Ohio State playing a max of seven games this season, while Notre Dame played a full schedule. Rules Rules are routinely broken, and ultimately, college ball has primarily become a regional sport. It's time to hire a commish to fix this mess. Oh, and did I mention... The playoff in the committee is an absolute joke.
0: Hasn't college football always been a regional?
1: Thank player? you. Yes. Yes. Yes, Tom. It's always been regional. They've always made up the rules as they go. We have broken and shattered and changed them all the time. And as you pointed out on Twitter, the ACC and the SEC have been playing less games than everybody else in conference play for years.
0: Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's not fair. That, and I, like, I understand that, five games and 10 games is a lot different than nine to eight it's just yeah that's this is it's just funny to me that now things aren't fair
1: conferences do what's good for the conferences like that's yeah. the way it's always been and done Do
0: the pac 12 and then you do what's worse for your conference
1: Then like they won't there won't be a college football commissioner because that means someone has to give up power and all of these conferences like the autonomy that they have over their leagues
0: yeah because i mean that's the thing like I understand the desire for it and I understand the desire for uniformity because if the playoff is going to be quote unquote fair, there should be some sort of set guidelines and everybody should be playing by the same rules. So I get it. It's just turning in like the NCAA is technically that right now, but the NCAA has nothing to do with the playoff. They're separate entities. So would you now have, like, the playoff is its own entity for the playoff, and the playoff has decided, yeah, no, do what you want to do. Because, <laughs> like, again, none of this matters. <laughs> Sorry to be, you know, what's the word? Nihilist? Nihilist, there we go. <laughs> it's just, like, you're trading one boss for another. If you come in with, like, if there's a college football czar or a college football commissioner, whatever you want to call it, it's not going to solve any of the problems. It's just going to give us all somebody else to blame for them
2: yeah because Roger Goodell is such a well liked dude <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, I i and and just let's let's not get upset about any adjustments or changing of the rules on the fly in this twenty twenty season it's a it's a worldwide global pandemic that we are trying to play football season inside of, and there are i mean uh, Stanford beat Washington last week while spending the all, all week practicing in local high schools and state parks <laughs> and Washington's practice facility. You know, uh, who was it? Um, I don't know, like, um, was it Nevada? Uh, Colorado uh, Colorado State has been playing and um, has been living in a hotel or no, New Mexico has not yeah, been it was New Mexico. in Mexico's own state. It was like, hey, it was like playing and was practicing in Nevada. Yeah. Um, Air Force was the was one I was thinking of. That's been like living in hotels for the last two months. Like it's, it's a ridiculous year. We got to make do like there's literal state ordinances, local ordinances that are like keeping people from practicing in certain areas. We're doing what we can to make this thing work. Um, the, the play. Yeah. I mean, I agree. The, the, pl- the committee stuff is a sham to, to a degree uh, that, that it is all subjective. Um, but until we get a, a, a extensive playoff where, the, you know, every conference has an automatic bid and all that sort of stuff, there's always going to be someone that's upset, always going to be someone that's left out. So, yeah, I'm on board. Like, let's do a 16-team playoff, see how that works out. But um, until that happens, like everything else, I'm just cool with just calling it, yeah, it's regional, it's it's biased, it's subjective, it's fun. That's what you makes know, it debatable.
0: You know, going off topic like you mentioned like an eight team or 16 team playoff what what i can't wait for and maybe i've talked about this on the show before is when they do expand it and like the group of five team gets that automatic birth like say they go to the 18 playoff and a group of five team gets an automatic birth every year and then after like five or six years that group of five team is like 0 oh, and six, that the argument will become: Why are Group of Five teams getting an automatic berth? They don't. I mean, this should, <laughs> we should give it to this nine and three Auburn team instead. Yeah, I
1: was about to say: Is it Auburn or Texas A and M that's always going to be the number nine team that's just screaming that they're getting <laughs> cut out by some Group of Five champion? Because uh, that's exactly what will happen
0: anyways. Yeah.
1: I mean, we yell subpar and sometimes sub 500 NCAA basketball teams bang the table every March because they don't get let in to a competition for the national championship. We will yell about whoever gets cut without a doubt. The bubble watch. That could be an industry that we could really get good on. Jerry Palms already got it. trademarked. We, sure.
0: we could do bubble watch week. if, Since we've proven we could schedule games on the fly as it is just do a bubble watch week at the end of the year. Get rid of conference title games and just schedule games right there based on seeding.
2: If you just assume that the group of five, the best group of five team, and maybe they wouldn't be always the eighth seed, like, but if we, if we go to eight, if you just assume that the group of five team is the eighth seed every year, an eight over one upset would, would happen about a, then it would be the equivalent of a 16-1 upset in the NCAA tournament. Which like awesome. it's not gonna happen. It's just not. And so... Sure. I guess if, if, you know, if we get to 16 or something and you get someone that could kind of be in the middle of the pack there and make a little bit of a Cinderella run, get two wins or something, then great. I mean, that's fun, but that's my whole thing in this is, yeah, it it would be fun. I'm on board. Let's do 16 team playoff. Let's do more teams in the playoff. Let's put them on college campuses. That'd be sick, but I'm not going to get upset about the idea that someone doesn't is in that didn't deserve to get in or someone deserving gets left out because ultimately those teams still probably aren't good enough. It's, it's about one or two teams. It's about the top four. And I think we've gotten them generally right. This next question
1: comes from P rock. P rock says, love the pod. It's a fantastic mix of analysis and entertainment of the sport. It's rare to find a podcast of any topic where the hosts have such good chemistry and flow. I have a mailbag question. If it isn't read within the next few pods, I will change my review from a five-star to a one-star. First of all, I am not acquiescing to your demands. I just really like this question. Just like Barton does with every Illinois recruit. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't it be hilarious? Which, again, I'm always going to jump when you start a question like this. Wouldn't it, it, it be hilarious if Lane Kiffin went to Texas? I don't think it's that far outside of the realm of possibilities. If Herman makes it through this season, if Ole Miss has a decent year next year in 2021, his name will be mentioned for bigger jobs. The Ole Miss job is on the same level as Tennessee. Mm, I don't know. We can pick that apart if we want. And we all know what happened the last time a blue blood came calling.
0: That would be hilarious. It'd be awesome. (laughs) I'm, I'm almost kind of rooting for it to happen now because, and I want it to happen this year. I want it to be twice. Lane's taken an SEC job, gone there for a year and then bolted for the big job.
1: <laughs> so we're saying two years, right? His, his proposal is that Tom Herman gets one more year, but of course he starts the year with no support. Cause everyone's just thinking like, all right, we'll see if he can save it. He's not able to save it. Lane has another good year. And then Lane Kiffin goes to Texas, which would be, be awesome who else can corral the cooks quite like Lane Kiffin who knows how to move in those circles quite like Lane Kiffin
0: I'm not sure Lane could corral them.
2: I just but Le- I- no go ahead sorry I interrupted you let Lane I think Lane would be a disaster there yeah <laughs> <So why>? <laughs> <laughs> it'd be it'd be it'd be fun it'd be funny it'd be entertaining it, they, they have some really impressive offensive shows along the way but I mean, Lane's strength is coaching ball, coaching offense. Um, and and uh, I mean, how did it like it's even at Tennessee? I remember like talking to people that were sort of in, in, inside the program at the time. And it was such a sort of chaotic, um, like it appeared to be such a chaotic, disorganized, jumbled mess from the outside looking in on the, in that Lane Kiffin regime, but, and, and he almost seemed it was in, you know, but, but inside, like everyone liked him, everyone played for him. It was sort of a better environment. Um, but I just think the outside stuff is like, that's all Texas is like, that's what has to be corralled for them to be successful. And so I think, I think Lane Kiffin's best situation is to be at a little bit of a tier two program Kind of like Ole Miss. No offense, Ole Miss. Uh, and and just do his thing. Be be himself. You don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to worry about a booster getting pissed off because your tweet was a little bit uh, uncouth. Just just do your thing. Be a renegade. And I just don't think that the 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 Longhorns. I don't know. So I does not feel like the right so, fit for me.
1: You know. And I'm just speaking in hypotheticals. Hypothetically, if Lane Kiffin was the kind of coach who was fishing in Boca until the day before camp started (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) if the players showed up well in advance of him and he just kind of got there and, you know, dumped out the bag of balls on the, on the field (laughs) that Texas power brokers might not like that.
0: Maybe. So hypothetically, if
1: that's that's the way that uh, Lane Kiffin is going about his business. Okay. Speaking of Tennessee, uh, this is from a loyal listener, Jake. Jake says, dear Cover 3 Pod, I'm a diehard Tennessee fan, and I am a supporter of Jeremy Pruitt. However, I have two concerns that have only grown this season. Number one, Pruitt constantly says the offense isn't working because the players aren't executing it. At what point does Pruitt make the offense easier to execute? Why are we trying to run Alabama's offense of 10 years ago? Number two, Pruitt has only coached in circumstances where he had superior talent. How much does that influence his shortcomings as a coach and what can he do to overcome this? P.S. I love the addition of Danny Cannell. Thank you, Jake.
2: So much late love for Danny. God, I'm so proud of him. He's won everybody over. Taking time, one day at a time, one percent better every day. All of a sudden, he's got a bunch of fans in the cover three mentions.
1: I mean, Coach Tom Finnelly said, "We just got to, we just got to keep doing good shows. They'll come around."
2: <laughs> uh, and I think the our boy here makes some some great points. And I actually think it's it's you know, and and. I I agree. I think I'm, I am, was uh, I, my, my conviction is, is being questioned right now a little bit. It's wavering a little bit in in Jeremy Pruitt, but I certainly was a Jeremy Pruitt believer. And I think he's, I think he's a really good coach. I think he is a really good evaluator. Um, But it is fair to question whether he is giving his players the best opportunity to be successful uh, because of the way their, their offense operates. Um, and it is fair to question whether he is showing enough adaptability uh, to a different kind of a different set of circumstances uh, in terms of, you know, his, his team's talent and, and who they're playing. I mean, they've lost six straight. That's that's the, the wins and losses tell the story. Like we can make excuses for it all we want, but they've just, they have figured out a way to lose six straight and the whole, the whole, um, a task that that, that you are, are given as a head coach is to figure out a way to win. And he's, and that's what he's, he's not figuring out a way to win. Um, and so I do have, I do have some concerns there. And I, and I think that it speaks to maybe the idea that look, um, uh, th- there is something to be said for having a background as a coach that is a little bit winding where you've had a lot of different circumstances to have to navigate in terms of talent imbalances and different systems to 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 coordinate on the opposite side of offensively and all, things of that nature like i just think goes back to range range you know generalist not specialist you know, a, 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 a wide spectrum of experiences prepare you for success. And, um, I think that's a, I think that's a good point And one that is, is maybe worth examining.
0: Yeah. I was, I was actually about to bring that same thing up because we, it's, it's not just football. Like We're living in a time now where in pretty much every industry and every single walk of life, things are changing quickly and you have to be able to adapt. It's not like it was even a decade ago, let alone 20 years ago. Like Alabama changed. Nick Saban changed because he saw that he had to change things up. And I think that we've talked about it. Coaches these days cannot get married to a certain philosophy. Like if you're running an option, okay, you're running an option, but even option offenses are changing. We're seeing different variations on that. Like, you know, with what Willie Fritz has done with Tulane and we've seen other coaches do it other places. And I think that you can't just go into any job right now and saying, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I'm always going to do it and expect to have consistent success doing it. You got to be ready to react. You got to be ready to adapt.
1: This next question was uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit loaded, but I think it, it could give us some good answers. Uh, this one's from Jordan. Morning fellas. Given 2020 is coming to an end with the coaching carousel coming up. It potentially could be a fun one. I had an interesting conversation the other day. Who do you think will be the head coach at the following schools in 2025? Oh man. Five years from now, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Texas, Oregon, Florida, Georgia. Curious to hear some ideas for these teams going forward. 2025? 2025. All right. Um, I think... Nick Saban is 74 years old. I think it's got to start. Do you think that Nick Saban is still the head coach at Alabama?
2: I think that's the easiest... uh, one to answer. I'm going to go with yes.
1: I mean, <laughs> and then you, show, like,
2: show me where he's shown any any indication that he was, is ready to slow down. Is like he didn't even have wrinkles yet. Like he's he is the healthiest looking. What he so he's 69 this year. Is that what correct? Yes. He's the healthiest looking 69 year old I've ever seen. I don't I don't know why you would bet against Nick Saban being the head coach in 2025. So I'll start there. I,
1: I've got Dabo at Alabama.
2: See, no uh, way. That's,
0: that's my burn the world down answer.
2: I don't know, but man. I,
0: I agree with Barton. I think Nick's still at Alabama in five years.
2: Even if Nick isn't, you think Dabo would leave Clemson yes. and go to Alabama? Yeah. I don't I don't know, man. I mean, it's, I know he's, he's got I a mean, history that is there. Like, I get that. Yeah, and that but, is the
1: Bear Bryant move. You know, like to, to leave, you know, one iconic program and go to another, win some championships. Go try to win some more championships.
2: Ah, but Dabo just likes being a little old Clemson. You know, he doesn't want all. He's, 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 he, he you know, when, when this gets stops being about winning and it starts being about how, ba- you know, how much you win and buy and all that sort of stuff, you know, they start paying players. That, you know, he doesn't want any of that nonsense. He just wants to, a little old Clemson. I don't know. I think it's fit. The walk on for Alabama,
1: you know, born and raised in Alabama. I mean, there's, it's that mama calls you come home.
0: I will say though, like if Saban does leave, I'm I, I'm not convinced Dabo takes it. I think it's I think it's a possibility he would leave Clemson for Alabama for sure. I would say that that was my answer, just a you know troll. But do you want to be the coach that follows Nick Saban, even if you're Dabo?
1: No, I mean, but it's a retirement plan. <laughs>
0: You know that you're going to be. No, you stuff. know
1: you're going to be. Whoever follows Nick Saban knows that they're going to be fired and they're going to get paid 5 to $7 million a year to be fired in four or five years. Save every but see, penny.
0: But see, I that's can't. why if I'm Dabo, I might let somebody else replace Saban and then maybe replace them.
2: Unless it is Dabo Sweeney, I can't even imagine how disappointing that hire is going to be. I mean, who in the world do you point to and you say and like uh, Alabama fans are, are excited about? At, I, I say,
1: <laughs> Dude, yeah. trot Kirby yeah. out and see how they react. <laughs> I
0: don't know. I it, I I think it'll be Saban. I think Dabba will still be at Clemson. Ohio State. I think will still be Ryan Day. Ooh. Okay. I Michigan. I said, well, I mean, I I only, I think Ryan Day is leaving only for an NFL job.
2: That was I agree with that. Not I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's uh, gonna get a couple. I
0: think
1: he's gonna new. get some offers.
0: I think at Michigan, it'll still be Jim Harbaugh. I think. No it, way. I do. I you think. I th-
2: you think Jim Harbaugh will be at
0: Michigan in five years? Yeah. I. Here's my bold prediction.
2: Still getting getting just waxed by, by Ryan Day? <laughs> my bold like Ryan prediction. Day, how many years
0: straight is that going to be? Like 12? My bold prediction is that 2021, Michigan wins 10 games again, and we kind of realized that 2020 was just a weird season.
2: I oh, don't know, man. Mm. What indication do we have that that's gonna that that's turning around? That Penn
0: State's two and five too. And I don't think Penn State sucks either.
1: All you right. Know what I, mean?
0: I think this so is So who do you have for outlier. Texas?
1: Texas, I, I No I'm, idea. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I have nothing All right. How the hell is anybody supposed so, to know who's coaching. So Texas up, in five years? I did a little bit of a burn the world down. Uh Dabo Sweeney, to Alabama. Nick Saban is retired by twenty twenty five. Jeff Scott former Clemson offensive coordinator comes back, takes over uh, the program that he helped to build as an assistant filling in for Dabo. Luke fickle gets the tap, gets to take over to Ohio state because Ryan day has gotten uh, an offer to go to the NFL, USC urban Meyer, Michigan, Matt Campbell, Texas question marks, put cliff question mark. Just like a little like Cliff Kingsbury come back to, you know, take over. I don't think that that, I don't feel great about that. But then I had Oregon, Mario Cristobal, Florida, Dan Mullen, Georgia, Kirby smart.
2: But you said Florida, Mario Cristobal, no, or
1: like Mario Cristobal, Dan Mullen, Kirby smart, all still like, those are the only ones that I've got that are like all still in their
2: position. I I, I actually think Dan Mullen will be the one that's in the NFL. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that
0: for sure. And I don't think... <clears throat> I think if Kirby Smart's still at Georgia in 2025, Georgia's won a couple SEC titles. Because I don't see Kirby Smart lasting that long if Georgia hasn't beaten Alabama, gotten the SEC and won a national title. You think
2: he'd get fired?
0: Yeah, I think... I mean, they fired Mark Richt. Why but wouldn't they, they fire Kirby Smart? Didn't they give Smart?
1: Richt like 17 years?
0: Yeah, they, they, they're out of patience. <laughs> <laughs> used up all their patience. yeah <laughs> rick used it all up <laughs> yeah i i think texas is far and away the most difficult one to answer here and i don't think urban meyer will be at usc anymore either i think Urban's is kind of just settling into his tv role and liking it and he's very good at it too uh i feel like mario cristobal at usc could be usc mario cristobal could be texas
1: Mm. I could see but that.
0: Yeah, because I I don't know. It's just I think he's kind of a wild card because Oregon, for as good of a job as it has been for like Chip Kelly, I think we're kind of seeing that it's it's a really good job, but it's still also a stepping stone to a lot of coaches.
1: Understand. Coming up on the other side, we take a hard look at Michigan's offense and what lessons we might be able to learn from it. Next. This question. I love this. He says, uh, uh, at the end, he said, the name is pronounced Ramo. Tom should understand because it's an Italian name. This question from Ramo, uh, are there any lessons to take from the offensive situation at Michigan? Obviously, the defense has a lot to do with the recent struggles, but what about the offense? Michigan seemed to have an identity of tough, hard-nosed offenses with fullbacks and downhill running, but couldn't keep up with the Ohio States of the world. The change to Gaddis's dirt bike offense has seemed to lower Michigan's floor. Should Michigan and other schools in similar situations have kept their identity if it meant a lower ceiling and been happy with nine to 10 wins?
2: Are we really going to put this on Gaddis?
0: Yeah. I don't think that it has lowered the floor because like they ran the dirt bike offense last year and how many get, they won nine games last year running that same offense and i I think this year is the defense regressing, particularly with the pass rush in the secondary and the offense being young and inexperienced, which was something we talked about before the season. Now, none of us saw this coming, but, we talked about how there was no experience really at the receiver position that we didn't know what the experience was at quarterback position. There was no spring practice. There was no, whatever kind of training camp. It's been a really messed up year. And I feel like young teams in a season like this one are going to struggle more so often than they do in any other time. So I don't, I don't think that the offense has anything to do with it. I think that off the change to this offense was necessary. And I think that given time next year, maybe with more experience in it with the talent growing, it'll perform better.
1: I don't think you should box yourself into an identity as a college football coach. I think you should always be trying to evaluate, improve tinker and look, maybe something doesn't work and you got to go back and you got to rework it and you got to change it again and you got to put in new wrinkles. I don't think it helps Michigan or any program to say, this is the one thing we're going to, I mean, look at Alabama. I mean, you just, you have to yeah. be willing to, to take on new challenges, add things in to your offense or your defense, uh, or else you're not going to win nine to 10 games. If you do the same thing every single year, eventually it's going to drop off.
2: If anything, the stubbornness uh, on the defensive side of the ball is is really what's been the issue. I mean, look at how Ohio State and and similar teams have kind of roasted Michigan by attacking that defense mm-hmm. and and they just sort of stuck with it. And, for, you know, maybe Jim Harbaugh, I don't know if you make a full on change at defensive coordinator, because I, I think Don Brown is an awesome coach, but, you know, maybe he should have had a, a conversation at some point like Don, you know, you've, you've, you got a great career, man, you've done, you've done good work, but you need to go clinic somewhere this this summer and figure this thing out and figure out like how, what adjustments and tweaks you need to make to this system so that we stop losing to Purdue and getting beat by uh, 30 by Ohio state. You know, this is, this isn't working. So um, I think the, you're right. I think Alabama is a perfect example. I mean, you got to make changes. You have to be adaptive. We talked about it with Jeremy Pruitt. So because um, it's uh, not working right now, uh, I don't think that makes the decision wrong to try to evolve.
1: Martin, do you have to dip out? Got
2: got one more question? Yeah, give me one more question. Okay. All right,
1: let's see. We got, let's do some Minnesota. This question's from Goldie. Finally figured out why Tom is the podcast's weakest link despite his superior big heritage. He's a pie guy. Jokes aside, how do we evaluate P.J. Fleck in Minnesota after this season? Caught lightning in a bottle for one year, P.J. Fleck moves to the top of some list despite his prohibitive buyout until late next year. Now Minnesota looks washed, and it's looking like 2019 was a fluke, but have a decent class coming in. How do we evaluate him as a coach and value Minnesota moving past 2020? Was 2019 really just Sharaka Kirk Sharaka, former offensive coordinator? Was it really just Sharaka's handiwork? Love the show, Minnesota Transplant in North Carolina, and y'all have the best college football pod for the pure CFB fan.
0: First of all, am I the only
2: pie guy on this podcast? What does that even mean? Are we talking about like pies pie over cakes? cake? Yeah. Um, no, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a cake over a pie. Pie, hmm. what kind? Of, what kind of pie? Any, miss, any kind any, of pie versus your favorite pie? pie
0: versus your favorite cake.
2: I'm a, I'm gonna take cake. Yeah, sorry.
1: Does an ice cream pie that counts as a pie? That's not a cake, right?
2: So it feels like it's a little bit playing in the, in the gray. It's a little yeah. bit cakey. It's a lot, It's got candles on it. Let's not go about the letter of the law here. <laughs> Maybe dropping off some some uh, some some casino chips in the backyard of your your recruit there, but
1: yeah, I, I'm in general uh, pie over cake, but my I, that's not a hard line stance for me because I'm a I'm a chocolate chip cookie overall as my like prefer. If you asked me what my dessert what I wanted, even at a nice restaurant, I'm like, hey, you got any like chocolate chip cookies back there? Bet they're warm. That's what I would want. A <laughs>
2: little milk, little side of oh, milk. Yeah, oat milk. Uh, you know what? Actually, I will say I was I was uh, I like oat milk so much that I was certain that to combine oat milk with like Oreo cookies and dunking them in oat milk was going to be like some sort of euphoric experience. Just go straight milk on that.
1: Is it, it's too <laughs> much. Straight milk's the
2: better play. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there there are things that oat milk is not best for. And just just regular old whole milk has still got a place in our in our refrigerator. Oat milk Thank has God.
1: a has a cookie flavor to it. That's almost too right. much cookie.
2: Right. Yeah. Yes. You need some contrast. Yeah. <laughs> so Minnesota. Anyway, as for Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> um, I
0: my feeling towards this season. Repeatingly, I mean, I, I don't I'm not going to hold this season against any coach just because it's been a weird year. And Minnesota has obviously Minnesota started the season dealing with a bunch of covid issues. It was missing half of its offensive line. It was missing key players. Rashad Bateman had opted out for a while and then came back. So he wasn't really in sync with the team for a bit. And now he's opted back out. I don't think this year proves last year was a fluke. I didn't expect this year's team to be quite as good as last year's. I thought it could be, but I didn't think it was going to improve. I, I think if you look at PJ flex history as a coach, there's far more reason to be optimistic about Minnesota continuing to be a good football team in the big 10 than there is to worry that, Oh my God, you know, that we've seen behind the curtain, and this is this is an awful football team, and last year was a fluke. So I'm, I'm not that worried if I'm a Minnesota fan.
2: No, I'm not worried at all. Uh, I think, I mean, you saw this sort of steady progression: five and seven, seven and six, eleven and two, or whatever they were last year. Um, and so that that's okay. I mean, what do you expect? Like eleven wins the rest of the, your your tenure at Minnesota. I mean, that's not how it's going to work at Minnesota. They're a developmental program. They recruit that way. Uh, they had they lost a, a lot of beef, a lot of juice from that team last year, especially on defense. They got to reload a little bit, and and reloading is not the same reloading as you would have at Alabama or Ohio State. You got to get those guys experience, get those guys coached up and developed. And so I think I think the you know the the grind begins again. Um, I, I I think PJ Flex still what he is. I think we we think he's a good coach. He continues to be a good coach.
1: Minnesota is just dealing with some of the same frustrations that, uh, Penn state is dealing with. It's dealing with some of the same frustrations that Michigan is dealing with dealing with some of the same frustrations, uh, that Tennessee is dealing with where there was, you were falling short of the expectations that we had on paper our Phil Steele ranking of you suggested that you were going to contend for the Big Ten West. And when the product did not meet meet that, it caused uh, some frustration. So I I totally understand the frustration, but I I agree. I'm not willing to give up on P.J. Fleck, and it is probably a team that I'm not going to be able to have a good feel on um, until, like, I do my postseason you know, review. And I start to really break down because when, once Minnesota fell out of the picture and I realized that they weren't going to be, it's the big struggle about the big 10 season. There was no weeks to get right. There were no off weeks to be able to do some self-scouting. So when a big 10 team was like, well, they don't have it this year. There was no team. There was no time for them to be able to go get it. So I don't have a good feel for what Minnesota has been this year. And I'll admit that, but I know that they fell short of expectations, but I'm not going to sell any stock long-term. That's for and, sure.
0: And it's like when you just look at the Big Ten itself, like I understand if you're a Minnesota fan, you're more focused on Minnesota, but Minnesota is just one of 10 Big Ten teams right now with only two wins. Like Wisconsin was expected to win the division. Yeah. It's two and two. It's, it's just a weird year.
1: All right. This, uh, this final question comes from Joel. Great podcast. You out? I'm okay. out. Cool. Uh, I Great podcast. You keep it entertaining and provide some interesting perspectives. Mailbag question, comment. Why do you think Matt Campbell is a good option for teams like Texas or Michigan? I was born in Florida and just graduated from Iowa State. I'm a Florida State and Iowa State fan, and I think Florida State is the perfect example of why Matt Campbell should stay at Iowa State. Five-star culture. Campbell is made to succeed at Iowa state because he picks the right people for his culture and builds them into studs at places like Florida state, Michigan, and Texas. He would likely be pressured to get five stars, even if they aren't a good fit in the culture. Plus expectations will always be higher. Would he really get to coach the way he wants and succeed? He, he has built a team from the ashes into a big 12 contender in just a few years. Ames worships the ground he walks on he gets paid a few million a year for eternal job security he's built a culture to last for years to come so why is everyone so set on him leaving Ames isn't so bad
0: i don't think anybody's set on him leaving i just think that he's a hot name in the market and he's gonna get floated about for bigger jobs I disagree with the premise that the Michigan job is just like Florida State and Texas. <clears throat> I understand where you're coming from with that argument, but I think that, as we've seen with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, the expectations there are slightly different. They, they would not mind if Matt Campbell came in and established a quote-unquote five-star culture, as long as that culture was part of what they want from their football program. Because one of the reasons I think Jim Harbaugh is safe in Michigan is that they appreciate the culture he has built within that program. I think Matt Campbell is very much in line with that. I think that what the difference is right now from what we've seen at Iowa State is that Harbaugh has recruited better at Michigan, but I think that's a natural advantage. I think if Matt Campbell was at Michigan, he'd have a much easier time recruiting five and four star players to Michigan than he does at Iowa State. It's much more difficult to do that in Ames just because of the pecking order and the hierarchy of what players are looking for. But I think that at Michigan, he would have that same kind of success. I don't think he would be good at Texas. I don't think that what McCampbell does well translates to Texas. That's We've talked about it. Texas is a very specific kind of person that you need to be successful there you can't just be a football coach you can't just be a recruiter you can't just be a developer you can't just be a culture guy you've got to be the ceo you've got to be the politician you've got to shake hands and kiss babies and do a whole bunch of crap to keep a whole lot of people happy while delegating your football coaching responsibilities to others. So like it's not a coincidence that Mac Brown had so many successful assistants that went on to be head coaches. A lot of them were working like head coaches for the most part cuz Mac was busy having to deal with so much other crap. Florida State I think is a situation in which it's similar to Texas on a smaller scale. It doesn't have the budget that Texas has. But there is that same kind of pressure within because of the history of the program. And you could argue Florida State's got a better history than Texas, really. But I just – Matt Campbell could stay at Ames forever. He might stay at Ames forever. But he could also leave. And if he does, I don't think it's because Iowa State's a bad job or it's anything about Iowa State. I think that it's – when you're a coach, like – there are certain jobs that are just kind of like the epitome of your profession. And when they come calling, it's hard to say no, especially if they're coming with a raise. Like I know you make a lot of money at Iowa state, but if you're making whatever, what does he make it like 2 million, I think somewhere in that area, if you're making 2 million or whatever you're making at Iowa state, and then Michigan comes and offers you 5 million, (laughs) it's a bigger job and you're getting more than a hundred percent raise. Like you'd almost be dumb to say no.
1: Now he is making three and a half.
0: Three and a half. But if Michigan comes and says five, six, seven, which is what they're paying Harbaugh.
1: See, I mean, I, I think it's important, especially for coaches on the rise to maybe stay ahead because uh, just the, the itchy trigger figure, the demands of fans. I don't believe if Matt Campbell was successful that the old standard that Matt Campbell is being judged by will continue moving no, forward. The,
0: the expectations will continue to rise.
1: Right, and it's and, more difficult to meet those expectations mm-hmm. at a place like Iowa State. Iowa state Mm -hmm. has only finished in the final AP poll twice ever. Like that's like, this is not a top 25 program. This is not one of uh, the teams that regularly is in the top 25. And so while you have this success now, and while you can exceed meet and exceed the expectations that are set, then the goalposts are going to move on you. And that's why I say for Campbell and any other coach that's on the rise, I'm never going to judge you from trying to stay ahead of that, and uh, just sort of the the reality. I mean, I get, I feel like I'm Scott Satterfield right now. See, what y'all don't understand is, you know, coaches got families, and we're really not trying to get fired out here. So uh, it's really important to talk to other jobs and understand what's going on. But if I am Matt Campbell, I take calls. I absolutely yeah. see what the salaries, what the resources, what the administration investment looks like at other schools. And that's not trying to run your boy out of Ames. It's just understanding that, as you said at the beginning, he's just one of the top candidates on the national scene.
0: Yeah, coaching, whatever you do for a living, whether you're happy at your current job or you love your job, or maybe you're not happy, you should. But even if you are, you should always listen to what else is out there just to have an idea of your value, because it's important to know what it is. So even if Matt Campbell doesn't plan on leaving Iowa state, he should know that Michigan, he should talk to them if they call to find out what his value is on the market. It's an important thing for anybody to know in their profession.
1: Because he's gotten Iowa state to the top of the big 12, but that also means that there's nine other teams in the conference that are doing nothing else but trying to <laughs> invest more in taking them down. It's only going it, to get more difficult.
0: In a way, being a college football coach, except, save for very few jobs, you're, you're kind of like a fugitive on the run from the law, in which you can't stay in <laughs> one place too long or they'll catch it.
1: <laughs> without a doubt. It doesn't happen uh, as much. Because coaches are recognizing this. You know, as as coaches get together and have these conversations. I think that the last coach I heard this from was a college basketball coach where it was like, you know, we've oh, uh, crap. Buzz. Uh Buzz oh, I'm Buzz at, Williams. Buzz Williams. Yeah. You know how he always runs his uh his like studies? He does he's <laughs> commissioned all of these statistical analysis. Mm-hmm. And Buzz Williams was like, I've found that at the like High major level, the, the average tenure is about four and a half years. So you got to stay ahead of it. <laughs> sure enough, so Bus Williams is doing. Yeah. So I, I understand it. College football is a little bit more difficult just because you are uh, holding on to players uh, a little bit longer for sure, but uh, still something that sh- we should keep an eye on. Don't forget on Thursday, we will be taking a look at the winners that we've got on deck here in week 15 it is our week 15 locks so make sure that you go and subscribe to the cover three podcast so that you can get that follow him on twitter at tom for and follow me at chip underscore patterson tom thank you very much
0: thank you